Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And we got a good one today. Ah, actor Paul Walter Hauser is here on Talk is Jericho. He was in I, Tanya, Black Klansman, and most importantly, his tour de force. He played Richard Jewell in the Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, it also turns out he was on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea twice, and I had no idea. And it's actually because of part due in January when we uh, got in a fight <laughs> that he ended up on this show. It's a great story. You can hear all about that, and also Paul's going to talk about working with Edge and Christian, how he got into wrestling when he was a kid. He's a big music fan as well. Maybe we'll get him to come out and rock with Fozzie on one of our upcoming dates on the Save the World Tour, which starts next month, April 16th in Savannah, Georgia, uh, April 17th at 98 Rock Fest in Tampa, April 18th at WJR's Earth Day Birthday in Orlando. Then we go to Chattanooga, uh, Johnson City, which is sold out at Capone's. Charlotte, Nashville, Louisville, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Lancaster, Buffalo, Iowa City, Twin City Takeover at the Target Center in Minneapolis, the Royal Grove in Lincoln on the 9th of uh, May. And then we do the Rock Fest on July 16th in Cadott, Wisconsin, a lot more dates have just been announced if you go to FozzyRock.com. And, of course, the Kiss Cruise for Halloween. We set sail October 30th. All ticket information at FozzyRock.com. And check out the VIP meet and greets. It's one of the best in the business. We play a mini set for you. Take pictures, hang out. We're already sold out in Buffalo, Lancaster, Pittsburgh, a bunch of places. But go to FozzyRock.com, see the availability, and come check out a show. All right, and check out this show, actor, comedian, and uh, Chris Jericho fist fighter, Paul Walter Hauser, right here on Talk is Jericho. And from watching and kind of investigating, more people are dying from the flu than the coronavirus, but it's not sexy to talk about the flu. Right. So it seems like it's such a... Is it a pandemic or is it more of just a media, uh, you know, created type of situation? I think it's probably a bit of both as it usually is, which yeah. is shades of gray. You know, I think I think it's something that I'm, you know, praying to God can be contained and figured out. But um, this kind of feels like the mad cow thing where like it was real, but it was also sensationalized. Sure. And I, I'm, very, I'm also during an election cycle like 2020 right now, I'm also very interested in seeing what diversion tactics pop up uh, based on what's going on in, in, in Washington. So, you know, I'm, how do you mean? I, I don't mean to go full conspiracy theorist. I just mean that you can, there are times where people will exacerbate and give a revisionist history uh, in an aggressive manner to deflect from something else that's going on, whether interesting, Good a point. country's being bombed or whether, right, you know, right. there's a scandal on Capitol Hill or something. It's interesting because um, I live in Tampa, and every year in September, they talk about the hurricanes. Yeah. And I'll get calls from my dad who lives, like, in Canada or, or whatever. It's like, yeah. you know, friends in Michigan. Hey, dude, are you okay? Like, is there anything? Dude, it's not even raining here. It's just the me- the media's yeah. got, like, the sky is falling. Get your, bo- you know, walls boarded up and buy your water and get your power supplies. Now, sometimes it is that. Well, one time in the 20 years I've lived there was that bad. The rest, nothing happens. Yeah. But there's a little bit of a, a slant put on it for whatever reason. I'm wondering if this might be kind of the same thing. But Yeah, no, I mean, narrative is... It's weird. You know, I once, I, I'm, I'm like a church dude. I'm a Jesus guy. My dad's a minister. So like growing up, you know, there are different narratives that come out of like religion. 
Right. And there are false narratives and there are tertiary narratives and there are, you know, uh, uh, the root of something that is like the true narrative. And it's funny how things can get distorted like a game of phone. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, the more it yeah, goes yeah. on. Campfire, yeah. Yeah, and it's like that in the world of wrestling, too. There are stories that whenever I... I'm, I'm, I'm buddies with a couple guys like, like uh, Cole Cabana and Adam Copeland and some of these guys. And when I'm with them, I'm usually trying to figure out, like, what the hell actually happened? Because yeah. there's the internet version. Right. There's right. the, you know, word on the street version. Now, give, me, give it to me straight, which is always fascinating. See, it's funny, though, because you are, uh, and we'll get into your, all the successes you've had acting and all this sort of stuff. But you mentioned being a big wrestling fan and knowing Colt and, and, and Edge. And, but usually when there's guys with notoriety in entertainment or whatever it may be, sports, you hear through the grapevine that they're big fans. Yeah, I had no idea about you. And we'll discuss how you and I are even right. here. But now that I know, I mean, dude, you are in everything. I've seen you like literally as soon as I saw you Thanks, from Richard Jewell, I'm like, oh, okay, well, he's in Cobra Kai and he's in Tanya, I, Tanya. Yeah. It's, it's like, I had no idea, but you're a giant wrestling fan with friends in the business. I think, I think the people you hear about are the more famous ones. Like uh, Rick Rubin and Rob Gronkowski are notably, <laughs> notably right. more famous than I am. I'm just a character actor who had a, a, a good year and a half, you know, where people started to see me right. a little more, but yeah, no lifelong. By the way, do you care? Do you care if I have guests sit in on this? No. I just Steve Borden is a dear friend of mine, and uh, and Barry Windham, who you don't really see much outside of maybe like a a wrestling a, a short hair Barry. Windham. I just want to. Well, the hair fell off. He, oh, I get pretty physical. Yeah, he's, he's brought uh, uh, Paul's brought his um, action figures here. Oh, wow, you blew the whole bit. I was hoping to make people think. Well, then you'd have to do the Steve imitation. Borden. Can you do a Barry Windham imitation? Does anybody do a Barry Windham imitation? <laughs> I don't think you can do I'm that. Paul, I think I'm Barry Windham. I'm Barry Windham. Get me some candy. Give me. Oh wait, no, that's <laughs> wait. What is that from? Adam Sandler. Sandler, that's right. I'm crazy. I'm Windham crazy. Windham Give me man. some candy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're from? You, you mentioned earlier you're from Saginaw, Michigan. Yeah. Is that where we started watching wrestling. Yeah, so I was yeah I was born in '86. Uh, had an uncle had have an uncle who lives in Florida, who you know Florida was WCW territory NWA. So he he kind of indoctrinated me into wrestling by watching a Clash of the Champions when I was like maybe five or six. So early '90s WCW was was my intro, and I. I I love that Arn Anderson looked like one of my friend's dads. Like, he didn't look like a Leviathan. He looked yeah. like a guy who owned a lumber company. So, like, we always, I, said, we always said Arn looked old even when he was young. Yeah, no, he looked, yeah. Right. Like Wilfred Brimley. He like looked never 65 at yeah. 35, yeah. yeah. But, like, I loved that portion, and then you still had larger-than-life people, whether it was in El Guiante or Sting or whatever. But I fell in love with wrestling around then, and then... 95, I, I started watching WCW and WWF. Sorry, WWE. Yeah. God, I don't want to get canceled yeah. over that. Right, right. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I just I, I fell in love. My dude was Sting um, because I have this theory that, like, as he evolved, I as a human was evolving. How do you mean? So, like, 95 to 97 was that sort of push of the Crow Sting. And around that time, I was 11, 12 years old, where I'm, like, discovering girls and rock and roll and hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. And, like, forming actual opinions and watching more rated R movies and, you know. <laughs> so, like, as Sting went dark, I, like, had my preteen, like, uh, 
turnaround yeah. of like maturation, you know. <laughs> so like the weird thing I think emotionally happens with that, and then you know uh, WCW of course ate it, and a lot of the great people left, mm-hmm. and then it was all eyes on WWE from probably about ninety nine, right? Well, because Michigan um, and Saginaw, it's like Kalamazoo and all those areas. It's a, it's a big. It's a big wrestling area. Yeah. You know, the shows come in there. It's kind of a smaller three, 4,000-seat arena, but went there quite regularly, especially with WCW. I recall going there quite a bit. You guys were were in Saginaw probably once a year, and uh, I saw a house show 96. I remember the main event was, uh, they called it a triangle match between uh, Savage Sting and and Big Show. And then you were on the card against Malenko, but my palate at 10 was not what it is now. So you and Malenko probably, it stands to reason, had the best match on the card. But 10-year-old me wouldn't have known that. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, and then 97, I went to Nitro, and I was sitting second row on cam- hard cam behind you know Raven and the flock and got a bunch of TV time where I was holding up signs the whole night. And it was like <laughs> the craziest thing ever where all my friends were like, dude. And they knew I wanted to be an actor. So they're like, you're not only on television wearing your Sting shirt, but you were also at a wrestling event, which everyone knew was my favorite thing. It was well, always movies and wrestling. Well, let's you talk know? about how you got into acting coming from Saginaw. Because like you yeah. said, you had a great year and a half. But let's be honest. I mean, dude, it was award-winning year and a half. And with Clint Dope. Eastwood and, and Richard Jewell. Yeah. Um, how does a small-town kid from Saginaw, Michigan, make it in the big time in um, Los Angeles? Same as you, man. Um I knew what I was good at and I knew what I was interested in. And when you know that at 11 or 12, it really, it's weird. Someone was talking to me about this recently. I said, it's weird how many things in your life were decided at like 11 or 12, literally. Mm. I mean, that's odd. That almost, I'm almost embarrassed to say that even though I'm happy where I went. Um, but yeah, no, I just knew I love screenwriting, comedy, wrestling. My dream was to be on Saturday Night Live and, you know, to get on SNL for five to seven years, get off and do movies and right. <laughs> try to be Rob Reiner and direct. You know, that was yeah. my dream was to eventually direct. And so I just did a bunch of plays, started doing stand-up comedy when I was 16. And in high school, I was like Max Fisher in the movie Rushmore, where I was like shit when it came to... Sorry, I don't know if I can curse or not. It's okay. It's fine. I was shit when it came to my schoolwork, but I was like doing 90 extracurricular activities. Right. Um, I was doing literally everything. So... Making short films, writing screenplays, doing stand-up, doing theater. My high school years were like almost like a pre-college vibe of like I'm getting my associates right now and then moving on. But in my early 20s, I really didn't know what the hell I was doing. I had just written a bunch of scripts, did a bunch of stuff, but didn't really know how to break in. And around that time, I got repped for writing in L.A. So I looked up this company on IMDb, their pro website. Right. You pay extra for that. Yeah, you pay extra. And I was doing it at 17, 18. And I looked up this company that I heard was looking at like internet comedians, which was a new thing at the time, the advent of Funny or Die, advent of YouTube. And I'm making videos and I I look up their company and their staff list. And then I go on MySpace and I type in their staff members' names into MySpace, find their pages, send them a direct message, copy and pasted. Hey, I'm Paul Walter Hauser. I write and do comedy. Here are my videos. I have a script. Will you look at my stuff? And one dude, this guy, Joel Zadak, started repping me when I was 20 years old, living wow. in Michigan, based off a screenplay I wrote in high school. So he thought, maybe you'll, you'll be the next you know, Seth Rogen, where you're writing young, you do comedy, I can put you into movies, etc. Uh, it didn't happen right away. And then when I was like 22, 
he introduced me to all these guys from Mad TV, Key and Peel, Ike Barinholtz. He's like, I rep these guys. Mad TV just got canceled. Mm. Do you want to like write a script for these guys? You know Mike Hitchcock? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, f- I'm, I'm friendly guy. with him. I'm a huge fan of Mike. We did uh, Groundlings together for years, but he was a big writer oh, on Mad TV. That's right. Yeah. See, he was a writer. Mindy Sterling was a director. Yeah. And they were big Groundlings people, so they brought me into the Groundlings scene. Oh, cool. Through Mad TV, yeah. And that makes sense because you're proficient in comedy. Not that you weren't before those classes, but... But you learn a lot. Like you said, like the Mad TV scene, which was a sketch comedy show, all those guys were just oh, yeah. great improv Comedians. And they teach you tricks and stuff yes. or, you know, those little invisible rules. So, yeah, no, I started writing a script for Key and Peele long distance when I was 22 years old. And, wow. And then I dropped out of college because I, I was just getting drunk and eating a lot. I was up to like <laughs> 330 pounds or oh something gosh. at the time. And uh, so I was just kind of the Belushi on campus. And uh, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I need to get out of here. So May of like 2000. Nine, I bounced from college, went back to Michigan, and six months later, I auditioned to be a background extra in a movie, and it had Jennifer Connelly, Ed Harris, Ed's wife, Amy Madigan, who I love from Field of Dreams and Uncle Buck and shit, mm-hmm. all these great people, and I just saw Lance Black there, the writer-director of the movie. He, wrote, he won the Oscar for writing Milk for Sean Penn, right. so I saw him there, and I'm like, well, I'm just here to be a background extra, but I'm just going to say hi. He had just won the Oscar, so I said, hey, man, just want to say congrats on... The movie, I love the film. I loved your speech uh, when you said God doesn't hate gay people in your Oscar speech. I love that you said that. I'm a Christian. That needs to be said more. That's amazing, man. Congrats. Great point, yeah. It was 45 seconds. Like, we didn't talk that long. And he said, write your name down. What's your name? And I wrote it down. And he said, there might be a part for you. I booked, like, number six on the call sheet, like the sixth biggest part in the movie. What movie was it? It was called Virginia. Oh, wow. Uh, very underseen. Uh, for a reason, it was a little sloppy. It was a little messy, but brilliant people uh, given breakneck performances. And I made like 8500 bucks and moved to L.A. like two months later. <laughs> it was crazy after working with Jennifer Connelly and Ed Harris and shit. So do you consider yourself a comedian first, actor second? Because now it's gone com- beyond comedian. I mean, I did stand up for over a decade. Uh, wow. When I say did it, it wasn't as consistent as like the guys and gals in wrestling who are like doing four different shows a week or right. something on the indie circuit. I was probably only doing stand up twice a month on average. Yeah. So I was getting reps in, but not enough. And I, I gave up on comedy. So I, I wouldn't call myself a comedian, but I'm definitely like if I was put in a Judd Apatow movie or a Christopher Guest movie, I could, I could hang. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But you're, you know what that's like. You, sure. McGruber and Kevin Smith, like yeah. you've, you know what it's like. But it's interesting too, coming from from Michigan and, and to be an actor because Hollywood is so much about, you know, the dashing leading man. But there's you mentioned character actor. There's Steve Buscemi's and then you mentioned Belushi and those type of guys as well. So it's cool, like a Jack Black, top leading guy. Yeah. But when you first saw him, you're like, really? What are you thinking, dude? Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, it's pretty cool that you're getting so many great parts now. It's killer. Based on your acting. But when you first come to Hollywood, it's like, well, who is this guy, right? Yeah, no, I mean, showing up, it was all about, you know, I was, I always say this too, I was content with far less. You know, I, it wasn't, uh, if, if, if I had topped out at like an ROH level and I was like, <laughs> hey, I'm on a roster, I'm still doing shows. I got to fight at Madison Square Garden twice. Like, that would have been more than enough. In the acting world, that's, you know, you're on a sitcom, you're making 30K an episode every two weeks, 
and uh, you know the show gets an Emmy nomination. Mm. I would have been content at topping out there, but my dream was to do what Paul Giamatti, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, uh, even John Candy. I mean, people forget John Candy was in JFK. You know, amazing. Like, like those part, actors. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do. The misshapen character actor thing was my my deal, and I didn't know if it would happen or not. And then I remember right around the time I was doing a smaller pilot for Lifetime up in Vancouver, I get a call and email about this Itania audition. They're like, hey, man, uh, here's all the deets. Incredible script. Margot Robbie, Allison Janney attached. You got an audition in 10 days. So I go in and, and of course, in that audition, I just went went for it. I had to be like 12 pages off book. I had to be, you know, memorize the 12 pages. Yeah. Big, big part. The night before I went in for the audition, I got super stoned because I needed to chill the <laughs> F out because I, I wanted it so bad. And I knew they had an offer out to Josh Gad or somebody. And I'm like, Did I'm, I'm a backup. Yeah. Oh, wow. I guessed and I guessed right. It was Josh. Wow. Um, so I was a backup choice for that. Um, me and Haley Joel Osment and all these guys were like, Backup guys that they were seeing. Was, what character was he? You- uh, Sean Eckhart, the guy who stages the hit on uh, right. Nancy Kerrigan. But I went in and I just like I was cool as a cucumber. Went in, did the audition, uh, nailed it. And then as I was leaving, and I've only done this a couple times, but I said I was like, "Hey, whichever way it falls, man, this movie's going to be dope. Like, congrats on the movie. This is exciting. I can't wait to see it." So I kind of divorced myself from the project in just front in of case, them. Yeah. Um, just like emotionally and it, it's telling to them that like, I'm okay. I have yeah. somewhere else to be because most people in auditions are really, you know, well, it's you're, hard. you're needy and terrified usually. And it's hard to audition too. Cause you'll see, you know, two or three people just staring at you and someone's reading kind of lifeless yeah. lines like, hello, Hey, how are you? Yeah. What are you doing? And then thank you. And then you're like, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. You know? Okay. Bye. And that's very intimidating as an actor, as yeah. a performer, because we all want feedback. That was good. That was bad. That was shit. Thank or, hey, you. I can do it better. Yeah, you don't have a chance. Or well, that was really good. Nothing. They based, give you nothing based on skin color or height or something. They right. can decide in twelve seconds if they don't. Do you want find it. that that people as soon as you walk in the room, whether you can even you know spit out a line, it's more of a look type thing. I had it for that show, Shameless. I auditioned for a guest star on Shameless several years ago, and I went in and like. I mean, I gave it everything. I did a very unique take. I was super proud of it. Knew that I had laugh moments. They looked at me like, they looked at me like I was an erector set come to life with a voice, and I was like <laughs> vomiting. Or they looked at me like something extraterrestrial. It didn't yeah. even. And and in that moment, I was just thrown because I'm like, these people are nauseous, nauseated, and confused. I don't know how I can salvage this. So at the end, I go. Is there any? And they go, thank you. And they just say thank you and stare at me, the six, seven of them that just walked out. Yeah, you never know, man. I try to break the ice. I walk in yeah. immediately. I'm, I'm fucking with people and trying to make people laugh, and I'm being, the, I'm being the same guy to them that I am to my family and friends and stuff. But you're you trying know? to show you have some personality. You're not intimidated. Yeah, no. I did a show. Yeah. Um, you did two seasons of it. It's called But I'm Chris Jericho. I've, I've seen it. Well, thank you. And the concept was that you know Jericho gets blackballed from wrestling. He tries to make it as an actor. And there's a scene in there in the first season where I'm doing an audition and the phone rings and the casting director answers the phone as I'm doing the audition. And I, that literally happened to it's me. Like, horrible. I'm, like, you know, hello. And Ooh. my name is David and I'm here to bling, bling, Hello. And I'm like, I'm talking. Like, come on, man. 
I guess I didn't get the part, right? That's wicked uncool, though, man. So uncool and Super not uncool. nice at all, right? But so, so, it was, so I, Tanya, you mentioned that great movie. Cool movie. I don't know if it, 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 if it was nominated for some awards. It, it, uh, like it, it was. was nominated for three, and then Allison Janney won Best Supporting Actress. She was great yeah. in it. Killer. She's so, killer. um, did you know about the whole Tanya Harding situation? Did you have to go back and do research I on it? I didn't know much. That yeah. and Richard Jewell both both were like those mid-90s Olympic stories that like... Bingo, right. As a little kid, they were in my periphery. I didn't really yeah. catch on to them. But um, I was busy making pogs out of WWF magazine. <laughs> I'm at Johnson's beautiful tits <laughs> making pogs of, of those instead of watching CNN with my, my family. Um <laughs> No, yeah, no, I, I, Tanya was a dope experience. They let me improvise and play around, and oh, I they? became buddies with. Because I improvise in everything I do, I'd rather ask forgiveness than permission. Sure. So I kind of just go in and add little things, and I'll dip my toes in, and then when I can tell it's safe, I'll, you know, if they don't yell cut, especially on like Black Klansman, the Spike Lee movie I did, Spike just wouldn't yell cut. Sometimes you just keep living in it. Just keep going, right? Yeah, and some of that stuff made it into the movie where I'm like, that's, he put that in? Like, that, like, moment? Like, it's funny to see what the editor keeps or doesn't keep, you know? Well, sometimes you never know. things happen spontaneously that work. Oh, yeah. You know, so you mentioned MacGruber, like, that whole scene was just improv. Just going back Yeah, I got a story about MacGruber, man. What's, the, what's your yeah, This is story? gonna trip you out, and All you right. can you can fact check it with Will Forte, but, so I back in the day when I was on MySpace and Facebook, I'm on neither now, thank God. Um, <laughs> Back in the day, I was friends with Will Forte on MySpace and, and Facebook. I would just hit him up once every couple months to ask advice because I was a fan, and he was cool enough to do that. Great guy. Which yeah. I now do to other people. That's cool. And uh, Forte, I had seen a MacGruber screening six months before it came out in Woodland Hills with my buddy Pete, uh, this dude Peter Hins. He and I went and saw it early screening. I had all these thoughts and notes afterwards because they ask you, you know, what do you think about the film? It's a test screening. Okay, so you're like part of the test audience. Right. Yeah. So I send Forte a message afterwards saying what stuff got the biggest laughs in the room, what stuff people complained about, and then just give my two cents. It was maybe 150, 200 words. Sent it to him in a Facebook message, and he thanked me profusely and said, like, dude, we were at a screening in, like, Newark or somewhere, like, we didn't get to go to that screening and we were curious what Paramount thought. We're waiting to hear back. I so appreciate the notes, blah, blah, blah. And I said to him, I, I gave him an idea. I go, why, why don't the wrestlers show up as ghosts at the wedding? Because Maya shows up and she's me. dead. And he goes, if Paramount gives us money for reshoots, I, I want to add that. I'll tell Yorma. So I never heard back, and then I saw the movie in theaters, and you got you and Mark Henry and we did Glenn show back wrestlers. to be ghosts in the movie. But your, I don't recall your boy. Your boy gave Will that idea, but I don't recall seeing it. So it is in the movie. It's in the film. Yeah, it's like kind of like the Return of the Jedi, where the you know the Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, ghost it's like a quick cutaway to you guys just waving in suits or something. <laughs> But that's an idea I gave Forte on Facebook. See, there you go. The right, you always How weird always be listening. That's so funny. What a, what a small world. Right, let, let's let's talk about the cruise. World. So you went on the cruise twice. And this twice. is another thing. How did I not know that you were on the Jericho cruise? A, a bunch of my friends were like, why don't you call up such and such and, and make sure they know? And I was like, dude, I don't want to be that dude who's like trying to look important. Who's like, hey, I'm an actor. You know, let me hang out with you guys in VIP or some right, shit. Right, right. So I didn't make a stink of it. I just went and had fun and did the, did the deal. Um but yeah, last year me and my buddy Steve Hamling went, lifelong wrestling fans. That's how we bonded in middle school and stuff. 
we went and had a blast the first year I cosplayed as Mankind. I think there's literally photos on the website <laughs> of a Mankind cosplay, which is me. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and I loved that year too because the tournament was like, the stakes were high with that tournament. The, everybody oh, the was, Honor, yeah, Sea of yeah, Honor tournament. Those yeah. brothers, what, what are their names? The, Briscoes. Uh, they beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> I mean, there was no, oh God, that, that match was brutal. So we loved the first year. We knew we were going to try to go the second year. First year, by the way, I lied to the Cobra Kai producers and told them uh, that I couldn't work on that week. <laughs> so, like, I was doing my deal for Cobra Kai, and they were working out the schedule, and I told my reps, I go, tell them I need these, like, three to four days off. <laughs> and so, like, it was a point of contention, but I was like, I can't move it. So I literally worked my Cobra Kai schedule around the cruise. Year two, I knew I wanted to go. wasn't sure if I could because I'm like, award season's coming up. Richard Jewell got nominated. Uh, for Kathy Bates' performance. And I knew I had commitments and stuff, but I ended up going with four, uh, three dudes, Jason Stratter, John Bonham, who's a brilliant musician, by his the way. His name is John Bonham? Yeah, that's his real birth name. Of course name. he's a brilliant musician. Is he a drummer, shall he we is. say? He's changed his name to John B just so he doesn't you know, <laughs> yeah. get shit for it. He's either Johnny Bonham or something <laughs> like that, at least, right? Yeah. Uh, John, Jason, and, and my buddy Steve Hamling again, we went this year, and uh, I was getting stopped a lot more, like the first year only a couple times, and then like... On the cruise this year, there were like like 30 people asking for photos and pulling me aside and autograph stuff. And and it was fun. So I, I know, I vaguely know this woman, Kenley, right? Kenley's married to a drummer in this band that was on the cruise. And Which she's. One? Oh, shoot. It was the one the night we ran into each other, the uh, young Fe- guys. Fear? Or was it. Oh, snap. Uh, I'd have to see a Farewell photo. Farewell to Fear? It's like four white dudes in their 30s. If, I, don't I know think if it's Farewell helps. to Fear. Farewell yeah. to Fear, probably. So she's, she's a musician. Kenley's a, a singer at my church. I attend this church that she sings at. She's a killer. And uh, her husband's a drummer. So she came up to me and she was like, hey, you know, come hang out. Uh, come meet Chris. And I said, Chris who? And she goes, Jericho. And I go, oh, shit. Like, I didn't even... And I was probably at like a 7 out of 10 drunk. <laughs> and then I come over and I'm wearing a Dodger ball cap backwards uh, signed by SCU. I've held on to this thing. I make them retrace the autograph every time I see them. Um, and I walk up, and you're pretty ham-boned. I don't know what level, because I, I didn't know didn't know you at the time. I think I was watching Jared James Nichols, maybe. That's what it was. Yeah, Jared yeah, James yeah, Nichols. Nichols. Yeah. That was what it was. Yeah. And they were doing a Stranglehold cover. Yeah. And we were both rocking out, and you saw me, and you gave me a look like this. You went like this. Like kind of like a, you like you might have known who I was, right? And I knew we followed each other on Twitter, but I don't know if that means anything. So I just I'm just air guitaring drunkenly, and you're air guitaring. Then you grab my hat off my head slowly, put it on backwards, and we're air guitaring just drunkenly and being silly. But a lot of people are watching us because everybody's watching you. Uh-huh. And then I think maybe one eighth of that crowd of sixty people knew who I was. Right. So it's a thing where they're watching us, and then you move to the front. And like 20, 25 minutes go by and we don't interact, but you still have my hat on. I'm like, I kind of want to go to the casino or want to, you know, bounce. <laughs> I'm like, this guy's got my hat on. I don't know how to say it. And some kid puts his arm around you. And without looking back or looking at the kid, you smacked his arm off, like right. threw it off your shoulder. Yeah. yeah. Uh, understandably so. Uh, but the kid was like trying to get you to meet his mom or something. It was an awkward moment. But then you, you drunkenly backed into me. And then turned around and you, and yelled at me and went some, something to the effect of like, mother, you touch me again, I'll f- 
didn't end you or something like that. Like you said something like that, and everybody's looking at me like I like shoved you or something. And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't do a thing. Like I didn't touch. Dude. It's like this dude's on my, this dude's on my Mount Rushmore of wrestling. Do you really think I'm trying to upset him? Like that's the last thing I'm trying to do. So now I walk away awkwardly, and I'm like, I need that hat. I love that hat. <laughs> so I tell security, I go, Yo, you got to give me that hat. I think Jericho's had a couple drinks. I don't want to piss him off. So the security guy goes up to you to grab the hat. You're having none of it. Ignore him. And then like two minutes late, two, three minutes later, you throw the hat backwards and a fan or somebody catches it and brings it over to me. I walked away, but it was like, I told my buddies and they were like, oh man, that's f-ed up. Cause they know what a, that I'm a fanboy. So they were like, they were like, oh dude. And then Kenley the next day is like, dude, you were both drinking. Like, don't worry about it. It's not, he probably doesn't even remember. Well, so here's the th- story on my end. So the cruise, obviously it's a lot of work for me. Yeah. And for a year to put it together, doing it. So when it's time for me to, to rock, and I speci- specifically put the bands on at certain times where I know I'm off. We tour with Jerry James Nichols. I love him. I love Kick Axe. You know, like you know, Rubik's Cube. Okay, so I was just at that point just load ski. I think it was the first night or second night. First night, maybe second night, whatever. I think second, yeah. So whatever. So after the cruise is done, as you do, we go on Twitter or you, you know, you go online and just make sure everybody had a good time and, and it's right. 99%. It was the best time ever and blah, blah, blah. And somebody posted a tweet, probably your friend, about like, oh, I know what it was. I was going nuts yeah. at Jared James Nichols. Someone shot a video of it. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, that's like what, like, what a great time or whatever. And then someone had tweeted right underneath yeah, and 20 seconds later, you were a dick to my friend. Now, I know who I can be, how I can be sometimes. And I was like, oh, man. So I DM the guy. I said, tell your right. friend I'm sorry, and I apologize. Which is already more than enough. Yeah. And actually, I think I might have even said, give me his Twitter handle. I think so, yeah. And I'll DM him myself. Because, you know, like I said, hey, man, we're all having a good time. And right. I get a little ornery. I apologize. And he goes, yeah, he's an actor. I'm like, oh, far out. That's cool. He's, you know, Paul Hauser, who's in Richard Jewell. And I'm like, what? Once again, why do I not know that the star of Clint Eastwood's hysterical. big movie is, is a fan? Like, why do I not know this? So that's when I reached out to you. And that's why we're doing this today. But you just never know who is there, who's watching. And of all the guys to be a jerk to, it's a guy who's nominated... <laughs> Almost for like a Golden Globe or whatever the hell you're nominated yeah, for. It's like, and how did I not know you were even on the boat? And twice, twice. And I watched Cobra Kai. And I've, I watch I Talk. I haven't seen Richard Jewell yet because I think it's I think it comes out today. It comes out like in like a week on DVD. Oh, there you yeah. go. But I'm like, how do I not? As soon as I saw you, I'm like, that's the guy from Cobra Kai. You know, so you're the the guy in, in the, in the high school man. that doesn't quite fit in, but he's in the Cobra. He's in the school, right. but. It's just one of those things that blew my mind. Like I said, of all the so people funny. to be a jerk to, it's, it's you. Oh, no, so. it's cool, man. It's cool. I, um, yeah, no, it was my, my friends like to do that. If we're at a concert or we're at an event, they're, they're like, or even going to like a nice restaurant, they're like, do you want to call ahead and say who you are? And I'm like, no, like yeah. there's, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about like, uh, when you're at, when, when you're at somebody's event, you should like sit at the worst spot. Right. And, and humble yourself. And then if the person throwing the event is like, hey, you should be up here, then you've been invited and it's proper. And, yeah. and like, it'll probably look even better. So that's kind of my mentality on that stuff. Well, Slash and I have a rule. We, we said this to each other. We've never said it. And we say, if I ever say this, cuff me in the head. Don't you know who I am? 
Like, oh, do you know who I am? Yeah. I have never said that. Slash has never said that. And we talked about it. It's like anybody that says like, dude, that's just the dick thing to say. I don't care if you're yeah. Paul McCartney. Like, no. you should not have to tell people, do you know, if they know who you are and want to give you a nicer spot at the banquet. Sure. Awesome. Cool. Thank yeah. you so much. If they don't, don't expect it, you know? 100%. By the way, Slash is good buddies with my buddy Clifton Collins Jr. Do you know Cliff? Yes. Yeah, and here's why I know him because I was a huge fan of the Stone Age. Oh, I'm obsessed with that movie, dude. Yeah. These Stone are talls, Age. man. Yeah. And I recognized him and didn't realize oh, like, like he was in the new Tarantino movie. Like he's all oh, he's over in the everything, place. Everything. Everything. He's, he's a working with Guillermo actor. right now. He's what now? Is he's working he? with Guillermo del Toro. Wow. Crazy. It's amazing how the guys get gigs because because, you know, acting show business Hollywood is not easy because you go from gig to gig. It's a pain in the ass. Right? Yeah. And even when it's good, it's tough. Like that's the other thing is I try to tell young actors who ask for advice, I'm like, it's never gonna get easier it's just going to evolve and you have to be able to evolve with it which you know not to you know kiss the ring or some shit but like you've been someone who knows how to evolve or at least even if you don't know you're going to try something and if that gets over if that hits or if that vibes then it's part of the evolution yeah exactly And i think you know actors have to do that too i think you know this guy who just passed robert forrester uh he just died yeah um, from uh, Jackie Brown. Yeah, you know, and it was an interesting moment where, like, he's a celebrated actor. He had a nomination at the Oscars for Jackie Brown. But, like, later in his career, he was doing all these indies and, like, adult swim shows and stuff. Like, really, like, able to reinvent himself and work more and stretch as an actor even when you're in your 70s, which mm -hmm. I think is, like, it's incredible. That's the ultimate goal, right? That's the goal, man. I don't know. I've always, I've always been trying to fuse everything, though. Like, you've done it, too, with music wrestling acting entrepreneurship for me it's it's always wanting to blend writing acting directing and wrestling in some regard so like i i, I wrote a movie for edge back when uh he was doing before he did the edge and christian show this was like four years ago i wrote him a movie on spec and we, for free and we sent it to wwe films and they like didn't even register with them like they didn't give Drove a crap nuts yeah and it bummed me out because I worked really hard. And I thought it was fun, funny. It was like role models meets Ferris Bueller. And uh, Edge would play this ex-rocker who's like now a Uber driver and right. has to drive around these nerds for their bachelor party and show them a good time because they're like the biggest nerds imaginable. Right, right. So like I wrote this movie for him and it went nowhere. We were both bummed about it. And then he calls me in the new year. This must have been like 2016, maybe 2017. He calls me up and is like, do you want to write for the Edge and Christian show? So I wrote for three episodes of the really? Edge and Christian show. Oh, wow. Sending in sketches. And it was tough because, you know, it was like my dream job of like, I have a paycheck that says WWE on it. I'm working with, you know, these two guys <laughs> I respect and like. But it's tough to translate comedy when you're not in Connecticut producing the piece. Right. So like they were it's taking stuff. execution, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was just impossible. But like that was, I've had all these run-ins of like doing WWE backstage with Booker T writing on the Edge and Christian show. I'm friendly with, you know, the Rhodes brothers. And yeah, you know Cody, Tony, right? I know Cody a little bit. Yeah. I That was a funny thing, too. The moment Cody ditched WWE, and I, without even talking to him, I knew what all the reasons were in my head because I studied that company. I hit him up on, on his email on Twitter and said, hey, I know you're interested in acting. I write and produce and direct stuff. If you ever want to meet, let me know. 
So I'm stoned going to a yoga night in West Hollywood, <laughs> and I'm in a car, and I get a text that says, um, hey, man, just wanted to know if you want to meet up, Cody R. And I'm like, who the hell is Cody R? <laughs> I'm like going through all the Codys I've ever met. And, uh, and then I realize, oh, it's, it's dude. So I hit him back. I took him to like a lunch. I, I bought him lunch at this place, Stout, this burger place in Hollywood. I just like pitched him a couple of things, wanted to hear his story, wanted to hear what he wants to do post-WWE. And he was very much on the film TV train and said, I have some dates with people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a Kurt Angle thing or I'm going to do this you know, indie thing and fight these guys on my list. But after that, it's going to be all about the acting. And, you know, it's just funny to see how sure he what was happens, of himself. Right, yeah. And then, of course, you know, cut to. Yeah, it's funny. Right, right. Let's talk about, you mentioned a few times, but by far your biggest role. Uh, not just in execution, awards, but the fact that you were the star of a Clint Eastwood movie, Richard Jewell. Um, how did that come on the radar? And uh, for people who haven't seen it, who is Richard Jewell? Yeah, man, Richard Jewell... Uh, you know, he's this guy who in, in 1996, when he was kind of down on his luck, just working a temporary security job in Atlanta, he was uh, tasked with watching over all these people as a security team at the Olympics during a concert series. And uh, while he was there, there was a backpack that was left under a bench. And because his mind always went to worst case scenario, he was this extremist who wanted to, you know, be G.I. Joe and, and be this super cop. He immediately said, well, we don't know what's in the bag, and this is the Olympics. Someone might be trying a terrorist attack. We got to call it in and get it checked out by bomb squad. The guys, you know, reluctantly call the bomb squad. They check it out. Sure enough, the biggest pipe bombs they've ever seen. Um, so they have, you know, T minus 10, 20 minutes to clear out as many people as possible before the thing blows up. Uh, of course, he's a celebrated hero in the 72 hours uh, post-explosion uh, but then when the FBI doesn't have a suspect, they look to the guy who discovered it, and they think that he's this hero bomber profile of someone trying to get respect and adoration Wow! Uh, by way of, you know, thwarting this plan that he himself had, had Hatch, you know, yeah. hatched. So I play that guy in the movie, really proud of how it turned out, but the way it happened was odd. Back in the fall of 2018, I had a meeting with this guy, Mike Ireland, one of the VPs at Fox Development. And as an actor, if you do enough, you go on these meetings where they just want to meet you. General cool. meetings. General, yeah. The water bottle tour. <laughs> so I've done them all myself. Yeah, I've been, I'm on the water bottle tour with this guy, Mike, and I know that the Richard Jewell project is at Fox at the time and that Jonah Hill's attached with DiCaprio playing the lawyer. And I said to him, I go, where's that project at? And he tells me, yeah, it's kind of in development hell. It's in limbo. I said, you know, if... If Joan ever drops out, I'd love to be considered for the role of Richard Jewell. And he not not like talking down to me or being, you know, uh, deflective, says like, oh, yeah, no, that, that would make sense. Yeah, I'll let you know. And then cut to six months later, I'm in Thailand, and I'm on this kick where I went sober from pot and alcohol for 10 months. And then I'm in Thailand, a foreign country I'm not familiar with. I'm not very traveled. And... I'm going nuts because I have all this free time and all I want to do is rage and I can't there or just hang work out and or? doing a Spike Lee movie. Gotcha. Oh, so I'm doing a new movie with Spike for Netflix that'll come out this summer in the autumn. But I'm going nuts while I'm there and I'm having trouble with sleeplessness, trying to lose weight for the movie. I lost like 13 pounds in seven weeks and I'm like trying to get in shape for this movie. I get a phone call that says, hey, you've, you've been offered the role of Richard Jewell in a TV miniseries. I'm like, oh. 
crazy. And they're like, it's in Pittsburgh for four months. They're going to pay you more money than you've ever made before in your life. Uh, here are all the scripts, et cetera. We're going to try to get you more money as they do, et cetera. Right. So I'm like, cool, amazing. I'm like, and just let me say, the, oh, the term offered, offered is the elusive word that actors love to hear. That means not, right. not audition, no audition or put yourself on tape. You are offered, meaning you've got the part. Yeah, which was slowly starting to happen, but that was definitely the biggest one I had had. Right. So I'm, you know, I'm tearful and thankful and I'm praying and I'm like, oh God, like, I can't believe I get to do this job and it's going to be an important story. I knew the story a little bit. Three days later, Chris, I get a call from my rep saying, you've been offered the role of Richard Jewell in a film. What? A competing film to the miniseries. And I go, no way. And they're like, it's the, it, Clint Eastwood's doing it. I'm like, what? Because I thought it was Jonah. I knew it was a fox. And they're like, listen, it's a mess. Jonah's, Jonah's out because Clint wants you. The movie's at Fox, but Disney bought Fox, and Clint only works at Warner Brothers. So I go, guys, this sounds like a mess, and the fact that they're coming to me is just weird because I'm not a name actor. But why would Clint want you? Where did he see you? Clint saw a photo of me next to a photo of Richard Jewell that a producer or casting director showed him, and he just goes, that's physical the physical resemblance? He just squinted and did his thing and was like, yeah, that's the guy. Show me some tape on him. They go, boss, you've seen Itani, you've seen Black Clansman, you know this actor. And he goes, yeah, show me some tape. So they showed him scenes I did on a TV show called Kingdom about MMA fighters with Frank Grillo and Nick Jonas. Showed him these scenes where I played this psycho guy who's freaking out. And he's, he's seeing all these scenes and he goes, yeah, that's the guy. So he just shot from the hip. I get a call a couple days later saying, you've been offered the same role in opposing projects. One is more money than you've ever made in your life. The other, Clint doesn't even know if he can make it Warner Brothers. So I have a couple days, maybe four days, to make a decision on which I'm going to choose. Meanwhile, the miniseries offers another chunk of money. Once again, I, my dad's a pastor and my mom is a teacher. And I have three siblings. I grew up in a shit neighborhood in Saginaw, Michigan. Rough neighborhood where we didn't have any money. So the fact that they're offering this almost feels like a slap in the face to my lineage that I'm not going to take you know, four months of work and get paid more than my family's sure. ever seen. So I'm, I'm like fighting through sleeplessness and insomnia in Thailand. I'm alone and I'm just praying, trying to figure out what the right thing but to do is. But you knew what to do. Even just, even just talking to you right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I know. It just, it's, yeah, it's tough. So I said to them on the phone at four in the morning because of the time difference. I said to my reps, I go, the Bible talks about you can only operate out of fear or love. You know, uh, perfect love casts out fear. And I said, fear would tell me to take the money. Love would tell me to work with Clint Eastwood. So tell him I pass on the show and to work with Clint. And they went nuts, like in a good way. They were like freaking out cheerleaders over the phone. Just see, like, it, you made the right decision, bro. Not to interject, but it, oh, it's, yeah. it's a completely different thing. But not really. When I, was, when I left WCW to go to WWE, the big deal. WCW was offering me way more. But it's either stay here for the money or go with, you know, Vince McMahon and WWE, which in wrestling world is Clint Eastwood. It's Clint Eastwood, dude. Yes, The absolutely. lead in a Clint Eastwood movie. Insane. Guys never made a bad movie. They're all amazing, and what a great thing to put on your resume. The no. money will come as a result of this. Right. No, that, I appreciate you saying that, because that's what my family and colleagues and people yeah. have kind of echoed. So I'm waiting for that next thing. There have been people that have entertained me playing Farley or Belushi or different wow. people in biopics right now. I just became buddies with, with Dallas and he 
he got me on DDP uh, Y, which I just started a couple days ago. But I'm doing it for real. I'm doing no alcohol, no sugar, no fried food, no non-complex carbs, uh, not even diet soda. I'm doing the thing for real for the next five months. And here's the crazy part. My buddy wrote a movie for me to play a wrestler, kind of like Eastbound and Down meets the wrestler. Like, you know, shitty yeah. indie guy who would never make it but is, like, obsessed, trying to, like, impress his father. A little bit of high rod in there with Sandberg, you know? <laughs> and uh, he wrote this movie. It's hysterical. And he wants me to play the lead, this wrestler guy, this schlubby wrestler dude. We just got funding for the movie. Nice. So right at the time that we got funding for the film, that exact week, I have Dallas Page calling me saying, bro, I got to get you on this yoga, bro. <laughs> and I'm like, what are the odds that this would happen? Well, don't get too week? skinny, though, because then you won't get the Farley Belushi part. I'm not worried about it. Actors can act, <laughs> you know? You're like, it's like... Uh, well, it's like you, like you could, uh, there are different evolutions of, you know, what, what is his name? The pain maker, which you brought mm -hmm. to New Japan. That is a very different build. I put size on for than, that. Yeah. The, yeah. Than you six years ago fighting Kofi or somebody. Blocky, you know? bigger guys. If you look at Japanese, not so much now because times have changed. But if you look at the Chono and the Mudos and the Scott Norton, Choshu and Scott Norton, they're just big blocky dudes. Yeah. So for me as the pain maker and as the big heel foreigner, Right. Obviously, I was watching a lot of Bruiser Brody at the time, and and Amazing. I'm not six foot six like Bruiser was, but in this day and age, I'm bigger than everybody else. Of course. So let me just be a big, blocky, crazy foreigner, yeah. And you know, headline three Tokyo Domes as a result, and it that's worked. you doing a character that worked. It's so the hero for a, a raging bull. Yeah, hell the yeah, weight. man. Yeah, and yeah. people will look back and study that and go, "Oh, this was a whole different iteration." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm. I'm doing that with my body right now. Of I'm going to commit five months, lose as much weight as I can, and then hopefully put on a little bit of muscle for this movie in the month that precedes it. And then I want to fluctuate. You know, if if somebody really wants me to do Farley or Belushi or something, I'm more than happy to, with a dietitian's help, do some form of deterioration with a game plan on building me back up after the film shoots. So let's yeah. go back to the to the Richard, excuse me, Richard Jewell. You decide to do the Eastwood gig. Yes. Did the miniseries ever get made? I didn't hear anything. It did. A okay. good buddy of mine, uh, Emmy-nominated actor Cameron Britton from Mindhunter on uh, Netflix. He played the part. Okay, so yeah. let's talk about Clint as a director. And I'll, I'll tell you it's a dope. quick little story. I had a Clint experience. You know how he's got um, his whole kind of, I don't know if it's a studio or not, but he's got his whole office building yeah, on the Warner lot. On the Warner lot. Yeah, yeah in El Paso. He's got, it's like kind of bungalows and it's very old school Hollywood. But I had an audition for, was it called American Sniper? It's about the famous sniper. Hell yeah. The Bradley Cooper movie. Bradley Cooper. Yeah. American Sniper, right? American Sniper. Right. Once again, this is why when you told me that Clint called and asked for you because he saw your picture or whatever, he called my agent, or his people did, uh, you got an audition. Like, I don't do auditions, but I always say, because I'm just not good at them. I don't like it. If you want me offer, anything I've ever done has been offered. And, yeah. you know, but I said, listen, if Steven Spielberg calls and wants me to audition. For the right person. Obviously, yeah. I'll do it. I mean, yeah. and my, my manager, Barry, he's like, I remember when you said um, if Steven Spielberg calls, you'll audition. I'm like, did he call? He goes, no, but Clint Eastwood did. I was like, what? <laughs> I said Clint Eastwood awesome. specifically the the words Chris Jericho came out of Clint Eastwood's mouth. Yes, he 
he wants you to read for this part. Yeah. And I was like, why? Like, wh- I don't know. He saw me somewhere, turned on the TV, whatever it yeah. was. So <clears throat> it's one of those ones where I flew in for the day from wherever I was, went to the bungalow, sat down for the, the shitty audition, and there's like, you know, the audition person, the camera, and in the back room, in the back of the room, Clint Eastwood's there. Oh, he was there for He was it? there. That's a big deal because he doesn't do that with everybody. He, he does not of, do that with he everybody. He didn't say anything. Yeah. They never acknowledged his existence. And it was the point where like, is that Clint Eastwood? And I was just like, hey, Mr. Eastwood. And I did the part, whatever, did the audition, typical thing. Thank you so much. And I didn't get the part, obviously. But when I went to the movie, the role that I read for was played by a, a black dude. Mm. So he went with, uh, you know, African American. Obviously, I'm not black, but that made me feel a little better because it wasn't like I sure, lost to some other yeah. blonde haired, you know, guy. But just the fact they didn't that, bring in Aaron Eckhart. And you're <laughs> exactly, like, Damn it. Yeah, and Chris <laughs> Pratt got the gig. But just the fact that he asked for me and was there, I just thought that's really cool and very un Hollywood. He or, is very un Hollywood, by the way. Bingo, right? Yeah. So tell me about. Going back to my original question about Clint as a director. Yeah, man, he's he's uh, he's refreshingly normal. He'll tell stories with great self-deprecation and detail. And, you know, whether it's him talking about like a Burt Reynolds type or talking about working with Leo or Bradley Cooper, he's he's very he's very uh, he knows that you want to hear the story. He knows that you want to hear it. So he's indulging you when he could be looking at a shot list or checking emails or doing whatever number of myriad of things he could do. He's always engaging and willing to indulge people and have a conversation. And on top of that, as an actor, the same way that AEW, from my limited perspective, the same way that they give creative freedom to their roster, guys like Clint Eastwood and Spike Lee give creative freedom Mm -hmm. to their actors. They're not dictators, they're collaborators. And so you get a better mean, so product. So how do you mean? So like a perfect example would be like uh, like Clint. I would show up and there would be a speech. And the speech is perfectly written by writer Billy Ray who wrote like Captain Phillips and stuff. But I would have an idea or two or something to make it more authentic for me and I would just change the speech. And then I would go in and do my version of it. He would say nothing about the script changing. The script supervisor didn't bother me about it. They just take, do another take. So I'm just finding my way through it and getting two to five takes and trying to perfect this thing that I, I have made malleable. And he champions that. Hmm. And he doesn't have to, you know. And that's what I said. I went and talked to Spike Lee's class at NYU a couple weeks ago. Briefly, I got up there and told them what it was like working with Spike. And there was a day on Black Klansman where me, Adam Driver, two, three other actors are doing a rehearsal early, early on. People are just getting to know each other. And I didn't have any dialogue in the scene. And I just crack a joke at the end of the scene for no reason, no animosity. I just said, and then I say nothing, right? <laughs> like to make fun of myself. Spike walks over, gets on one knee, puts his script on his other knee, and a pen to the script and goes, what would your character say in the scene? And I'm thinking I'm in trouble. And everybody's no. looking at me like, you just got busted. Right. Waiting for him to yell at me or some shit. And I tell him, I think here I would say that Adam Driver's character should name his gun and that I named mine Betsy. And he goes, all right. Five days later, I get a script in my email with those lines added to the script. And on the day I said the line of, you got to name your piece, I named mine Betsy. It's in the movie. 
But it's this thing that just came out when I was terrified by Spike Lee in this rehearsal. <laughs> so, like, that spirit of, of openness and malleability, I think, is... See, Kevin Smith is like deal. that, too. I did two movies with oh, him yeah. now. No, it's very... What do you got? Like, even in the in the Jane Silent Bob reboot... Like, dude, you were so funny oh, in that scene, you. dude. Thank you, man. But, I mean, the, the Can You Dig It ro- uh, Warriors thing, That's I just did it. Yeah. Just, that's great. Let's do it. And my acting gigs are much more limited than yours, but... I've heard that Clint does very quick shooting. It's usually one takes, and done. One and done, right? M- wow. Mystic River, Sean Penn and those guys were all saying it was one and done. Even the important, vital, you know, trailer moments that like the big scenes the and stuff. Moments, yeah. th- those were one. T- so when he, I told he, people he, that he, I got five to ten takes on some of mine, they were like, excuse me? Like they, his producer said no actor has ever asked for more takes and been given that many takes. Why did you do more takes? I just asked. I have no idea why. I, I, you know, I never headlined a film. So for me, it was the thing of like, I didn't do it neurotically where I'm like, uh, I need more. It was more like there were two or three scenes where I was like, these scenes are huge. Mm-hmm. I have to like weep in this scene or I have to like save someone's life in this scene. So for those two or three moments, I'd say to him like, I think I'm gonna need some cracks at this, and and he was gracious enough to to but grant he, me. But that. he trusts his actors. That's why he hires Implicitly. you, so he doesn't have to overtake things, right? No, there's no coddling, no babysitting, no helicopter directing. So, what kind of advice? Is, I mean, you mentioned the funny stories and the great stories. I had William Shatner on this podcast a couple times, and just talking to him. Well, yeah, my first movie was Spencer Tracy in 1930. I'm like, this guy's a national treasure and you forget like that's yeah. William Shatner Priceline this guy started in the 30s what is Clint that's teaching crazy. you and uh, what did you pick up from him for being a lifelong pro because I think he's almost 90 at this point still looks like he can keep yeah. the shit out of us I mean not giving a shit is a big part of it like really by the way you inhabit that too once again I keep seeing you in some of these examples I'm laying out of like you don't strike me as a guy who's going to ask for permission for a lot of what he does. You're probably just going to go do it and whatever measure you know success. Right. right. And and I think Clint is one of those shoot from the hip type of guys. Now he's earned that. I don't know what he was like in 89 when he was prepping Unforgiven or something. I don't mm-hmm. know what he was like then. But what I learned from him was very much to trust your instincts, to pace things up because I tend to rant and drag stuff out and he would he would – come up to me and he'd snap his fingers and go, a little more skip to my loo. I go, skip to my loo? You just aged yourself more than your skin, bro. He's like, hey, I'm 90. What do you yeah. want from me? <laughs> and, uh, no, I learned I learned focus and, and sort of trust from that dude. Right, right, right. And right. to simplify, to not overthink stuff. You know, and that, and that's one of those things, like, you can really pick up from a guy like that, and you did, to the point where, what awards did Richard Jewell get? What awards did you get? I was... I got something called the Breakthrough Award from the National Board of Review in New York, which they previously have given to people much bigger than me, like Jennifer Lawrence and Michael B. Jordan. And uh, and a couple other things. Uh, we, we got AFI Top Ten list for Best Movies of the Year for the American Film Institute. And then, of course, Kathy Bates got the Golden Globe and uh, Oscar nomination, which... You should speak in the national treasures, you know. Oh yeah, from there misery was, to the water boy, she did <laughs> Titanic, like American Horror Story. She's done everything, you know. There was talks though about you getting some of those big nominations too. There were some, you know. I was shooting a Disney movie with Emma Stone in London for three and a half months, I love this. 
and was shooting with Spike Lee in Thailand, <laughs> Emma Jones, and yeah, Europe. but you're you're also like me and Slash have this rule. <laughs> sorry, so yeah. like we're, sorry, we're both in that boat. I hope that name didn't drop on your yeah, foot. No, I've dropped a couple, <laughs> but I'm doing. I did this movie for three and a half months in London, and like during that time, all these people were campaigning for award season, so I missed out on the prime time of campaigning. Because uh, you actually hurt. have to beat the street as the actor himself to do that? 100%. Gotcha. I mean, Rockwell, when I talk to – I try to ask Sam Rockwell about the Oscar experience. He won't even talk about it. I think he's exhausted thinking about it because he knows what it takes to mm. campaign for an mm. award season. It's a lot of work. Yeah. I had fun with it. I didn't really mind. I like talking. I love people. Uh, I find ways of making things that aren't fun fun. Um, but, yeah, no, in the future – I. What I don't love is that a couple people, and you know, I'm not letting the internet or Twitter or whatever like actually influence a lot of my thoughts, but a lot of people were talking in articles and interviews and stuff saying, you know, this guy found his niche. He's like the heavy set weird guy who can play in a comedy. And I was like, yeah, but also like that's just emboldening me to be a psychopath and to prove you wrong. So like. I said I put out some tweet that was like I'm I'm excited to prove everyone uh, confused, mm-hmm. and that's part of <laughs> me doing DDP yoga for five months and going sober, and doing this wrestling movie that I'm also co-producing. Um, me, I wrote a script for LeBron James's production company. We're going out with that next month. I have O'Shea Jackson Jr. involved. Great guy. Uh, he's he's been on the show before. Yeah, he and I I I wrote these parts for us to play best friends. It's like a movie that takes place in the world of the culinary stuff. But like all these things I'm doing that no one knows anything about, all these projects that just haven't been reported, I'm just waiting for them to trickle slowly and prove everybody confused and try to reinvent myself. But that's kind of what what you need to do in Hollywood, as we talked about earlier, about how it's very erratic, the work can be up and down. But if you can direct and produce and you're writing, I mean, that's how you become Clint Eastwood and do everything. And I've directed three short films. I just got funding uh, for my feature that I'm doing a year from now. I'm writing the script right now. This guy, Barry Levine, who's good buddies with Dallas mm-hmm. and Steve Austin. Barry, he's a big fan of yours, too. I mentioned you at one point. Oh, wow. He's done some stuff. I've he's great. Yeah. He's a big rock and roll guy, though. He helped, I like... I think he did Detroit Rock City, that Kiss movie from... Oh, no, I think he ago. did. Yeah. And I think he also... He helped, like discover Motley Crue and stuff. So, like, he's just he's rock and roll yet. guy. But he's going to help fund and produce my directorial debut a year from now. And I'm already writing parts for wrestlers and stuff, like <laughs> people that I want to put in the film. Because, uh, I don't know, it's just uh, wrestling is such a crazy world, too, of, like, there's so much undiscovered Hollywood talent. Like, Dave Batista and Dwayne and these guys, it's not... It's not an accident. Well, I always say, if you can, Work ethic, if you humor, can make it in wrestling, it's, it's show business boot camp. Yeah, not everybody can do it, but if you learn and you you have aptitude for it, you learn everything. Talk about behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, comedy, yeah. drama, you know, the laugh, cry, you know, violence, stunt work, everything. Yeah, and spending a lot of plates and and just being accountable to the work ethic necessary to show up and do all that stuff. As we uh, start to wind down here, you're talking about wrestling. So you're wearing an AEW hat. Yeah, man. Uh, you 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 fan of all wrestling? What are you into right now? Yeah, I'm like. Yeah, I'm all over the map. I, I was watching a little NWA because I'm, I'm buddies with Aaron Stevens and and uh, Ricky Morton and some of those guys. So like, I check in on that once in a while. Um, I, I'm a member of Honor Club, so I watch ROH once in a while. But their their roster kind of took a serious yeah. hit the last year or two. It's been tougher to watch. 
WWE, I, I support a lot of those guys, and I love, I love guys like The Revival and Street Profits, and there's plenty of people I'm a fan of, but the product is, has become a little too factory farming, so it's tough to really get excited about it and invest as many hours as they ask. AEW is kind of my mainstay. It was from the beginning. And, uh, well, from the start. Yeah, no, I was, I was, I mean, keep in mind, I was on that cruise in October of 18. So, That's like, true, yeah. I so, sort of saw the trickling and, and where it was building. The I was Genesis at Double or, or Nothing yeah. in, in Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. So, like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really behind this, this product and the fact that it's about to have two shows and you guys are building the roster. You know, the writing's on the wall. It's going to be a really fun ride for everybody involved. That's uh, cool, man. And yeah, if they ever, I don't know if they want this, but like, I would love to do uh, like the guest commentary on Dark or something and promote one of my movies or something. Oh, when it That'd comes out, we can make it happen. Yeah, man. Yeah. We should do it. So my, my agent's buddies with Tony Khan, too. My agent, Ryan Abushi, they're, they're both like uh, Premier League fans and stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah right, yeah. right. So, last question for you What's your, uh, who's your all time favorite wrestler? And what's the favorite part you've ever played? And you can't say Richard Jewell. Okay. Favorite part I've ever played? I'll say this show Kingdom that I did on the Audience Network for DirecTV. It was very, it hasn't been seen by that many people. Yeah, I remember hearing about it, but I never saw it. It's a shame, you know. If it were on Netflix or HBO, we'd all be holding trophies. Like, it was that <laughs> yeah. good. So, yeah, that show Kingdom, I played a character who, who had a lot of PTSD and was on the spectrum for autism. And uh, was equally parts like aggressive and unpredictable, but also sweet and funny. Mm-hmm. So playing that dichotomy like of my like uh, Malkovich of Mice and Men, it, it was like that vibe which I loved. But um, favorite wrestler of all time, gotta go Steve Borden. Uh, that's <laughs> my dude. Yeah, we're both uh, we're both Jesus freaks, and uh, dude's got a great reputation in the business. I don't like how it ended. I still hope there is some form of an ellipsis or postscript to what he's done. Even in AEW, I could see him at some point if he would be willing or the company wanted. I could see him in a managerial position the way Arn and Tully are doing stuff. But um, he's too good to not be plugged into the world. Yeah. So the fact that he's just doing fan events pisses me off. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's just odd and, and kind of cruelly unfair in my right. mind. But but my, my Mount Rushmore, how many faces are on that? Four or five? There's four. But I'll give you five. Yeah. Well... Well, my 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 four would definitely be uh, Steve Steve Sting Borden, Arn Anderson, Bret Hart, and yourself. Oh wow! And then if there was a fifth, uh, probably probably Steamboat. I'm a big Steamboat guy. Interesting that you mentioned Steamboat and Arn because two of the best Steamboat might be on mine, but people kind of forget those guys. People yeah. forget they only give them. You know, a lot of people it's always only Hogan get, Flair. You know. And some people only get props for their pops. Mm-hmm. That's a thing, too, where people, they forget the lineage or the, the sort of filmography resume of wrestlers. And you got to look at their programs they did with multiple people. For me, Brett, just technically sound, you know, never hurt anybody. Uh, believed, you believed everything he was doing. Arn, you believed everything he was doing and, and his work on the mic. Sting for a million reasons. But you're, you're going to be one of those guys, you already are, but like, when they write the books, you are going to be that dude that's like Mexico, mm. ECW, WCW, WWE, Japan, mm. AEW. You're going to be the dude who spans everything, and I don't know if there is a dude that spans everything. Yeah, it's which is crazy. That you, and you don't think about that, but sometimes you just look back 
and go like, holy smokes, man. Like, I like it's not coming up till Thursday, but by the time the series will be done. So I, I, I won the Wrestler of the Year in the Observer this year. Holy shit. Just voted. And awesome. it's the third time I've won it. But the last time I won it was 2009. So it's been 11 oh. years, and I'm the oldest guy to ever win it. But I don't look at it that way. It's like, yeah, I had a great year, but oldest guy, like, okay, I'm 49, but... I still don't think about it in age. I think about it. You in, also don't feel for it. No, <laughs> yeah. but, but also yeah. even as a character, like you mentioned the reinvention and keeping yourself relevant and being creatively fulfilled. So yeah, it's cool to, to, to hear these things, but I don't, I just think about like, I'm just doing my thing. It's yeah. just what I've always done since I was 19. Right. So, that's kind of how Flair was though, yeah. too, though, man. Flair yeah. wasn't looking at his watch, wondering when his yeah. time was up. He was just rolling with the punches and, yeah. and you know, it was so odd to see him so mistreated at the end of WCW, especially by a lack of appreciation from like the board of people involved. Yeah. And then you see him in WWE and he was like in a faction with Hunter and Randy and, and Dave. It's like, and instantly that's reborn, crazy. Rebuilt, like, yeah. like what a run, man. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for, I'm excited for AEW where it's going to go. Grateful that you made the leap and helped play a massive part in bringing legitimacy and uh and yeah i've i just have this funny feeling that that people are are well the same way i feel about myself as an actor and creative i think people are underestimating aw i'm really excited to see what happens well, so far so good and uh so far so great are you dude. gonna be uh on the third cruise of course, man. February first. I'll be the there 5th, in a heartbeat. I gotta get a bigger room though. I, we we split one of those mid deck, <laughs> mid balcony rooms with with me and three other guys. It was ass to ankles. It was sardines, man. You're an award winning uh, thespian now, dude. Yeah, I got to spring for the real room. But no, I had a blast, man. I, every year, if I can go, I'll. I'll well, be I there. promise next year I won't steal your hat and uh, and, and tell you to get your hand off me or whatever oh good man next year let's do a shot or something yeah. let's do it yeah i should actually be friends all right man thanks brother cheers, cheers.